Welcome to Puzzling It Out, thoughts and perspectives from a clinical psychologist. Hello, my name is Dr. Gail Lewis, your podcast host, and a clinical psychologist practicing on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Before I begin today's topic, I wanted to apologize for the delay in between my podcast recordings. I was having some technical difficulties with Mac's new upgrade to its Catalina system, maybe more information than you wanted to know. But after many visits to the Apple Store and the gracious and lovely help from many Apple geniuses, I finally figured it out. And here I am, ready to go on and present to you a new podcast. So here we go. This is going to be the fifth in my series of episodes focusing on multiple sclerosis. And the title for today's episode is called Emotional Aspects of Living with Multiple Sclerosis for the Individual and Family Unit. While I don't always do this, I'm going to identify some goals that I'd like to arrive at for the duration of today's podcast. And first is to identify the most common emotional struggles and mood issues in people with multiple sclerosis and their family unit and support partners, and to be able to identify treatment options. Secondly, to be able to discuss basic facts about common emotional challenges to having a diagnosis of and living with MS and changes that arise as a result and to learn to be able to explain them to others. Thirdly, to recognize how emotional changes due to multiple sclerosis and its symptoms can impact relationships. And lastly, to identify and discuss ways to openly talk to your healthcare team about depression, anxiety, and other mood disorders that might arise. What I want you to most importantly know, and please hear this as emphatically as I can possibly express it to you, that having emotional reactions, such as depression and anxiety, either due to getting diagnosed with MS, living with MS, dealing with the progressive issues of MS, dealing with the side effects of MS medications, effects of certain symptoms, all of that is normal and nothing to be ashamed of. Please try to keep that in mind. And if you ever need reminding of that, at the end of the podcast episode, I'll give you some information to be able to get in touch with me. So if you have a hard time keeping that in mind, I'd be more than happy to be the receptacle to let you know that it's so important to normalize all of that, as awful as it might feel. So these are some common emotional reactions to getting a diagnosis, living with a diagnosis, dealing with all the changes that occur as a function of having MS or living with someone who has MS, one can be shocked where you might be saying to yourself, this can't be happening to me, to my wife, to my husband, to my child. Then there's denial. This isn't happening to me. And of course there's anger. Why can't you fix what's happening to me? And anxiety. What else will happen next? There's also relief. 
which might come to as a surprise to many of you. At least I have a name for what's happening to me. Then there's resentment. I have no control of what will happen next. My person with MS feels like a burden sometimes. Then there's grieving. I've lost so much of my life. I feel like part of who I was died. And then there's depression, which is very different from grieving. And later on, I will try to describe the difference so that you might be able to understand that better. Let's dig into depression and MS. So people with multiple sclerosis and their partners and family members are at risk for having depression due to an MS diagnosis. And having depression can affect relationships at work and at home. Depression can affect one's ability to communicate clearly. It definitely can affect intimacy. And it can make it difficult to problem solve in a, in a duality. Uh, it makes it very difficult for people to come together and share in the way that they work out issues. Now, depression can be effectively managed, but it is underdiagnosed and undertreated in MS. These are some of the reasons why depression is underdiagnosed and undertreated in MS. People with MS are not reporting depression to the neurologist or nurse or staff. And these are a couple of reasons why that might be. Some people with depression due to their MS or just depression feel ashamed to have those feelings. Uh, I consider it a pride issue. I should be stronger than this. I shouldn't be having these feelings. I should be able to just muster through and not feel depressed. Depression also can be subtle, so it may not be distinct from prior mood states. And along these lines, there are people with MS who might have been diagnosed as having depression much prior to getting their MS diagnosis, and they may be being treated for it. So I often get the question, well, is my depression just due to other issues that I've been dealing with my whole life, or is it due to MS? And that answer is incredibly important to people, knowing the source of it. But some people might not report depression to their team if it's already an issue that they have been struggling with and dealing with, they may not have the information to know that, in fact, having MS for a variety of reasons can exacerbate already existing depression. So another reason, and it's a big reason, why depression is underdiagnosed and undertreated in MS is that doctors and medical staff are not asking adequate questions to assess for depression. And I certainly don't want to be throwing neurology medical teams under the bus. I think that they do an amazing job. I know many people in the field who are incredibly caring and very interested in trying to not just find a cure for MS, but make living with it as comfortable and as empowering as possible. So 
as many of you know that when you go to see your neurologist for a neuro exam, you're probably going to be in the neurologist's office for 15 to 20 minutes. And the exam might include some initial questions about how you're feeling, if you have any new symptoms, if anything has changed. And if your responses are on the more benign side, that you know, nothing really is of notice or of concern, you'll go on to your physical neuro exam, which as many of you know is you know, involved in testing your balance and testing your ability to be coordinated in your walking and your reflexes and your vision and all of those things. And it is very rare in my experience based on my own personal experience and also my work with my patients that a neurologist is asking patients during that 15 to 20 minute exam, are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling anxious? Have you noticed any mood changes? And I don't believe it's because they're not interested. I, I believe it's because all the other things are more preoccupying for them and it takes up most of the time until they have to go and get their next patient for their next neuro exam. So in combination with MS patients and maybe a support partner who's attending an appointment with them not reporting any noticeable changes in mood issues or an onset of depression or anxiety, treatment teams are not asking about it. So that's why it is underreported and undertreated. And as a result, many people with MS are living with an unnecessary amount of emotional pain, a reduced quality of life, and terrifyingly, a greater increased risk of suicide. More than 50% of people with MS will experience major depression. And depression can occur at any time over the disease course. Depression may overlap or worsen other symptoms, such as, for example, cognition or fatigue. If you think about it, even if you don't have MS, when you're depressed or when you are struggling with any strong feeling that seems to have taken over your functioning, being able to cognitively function in a way that allows you to think linearly and clearly and in a goal-directed way becomes very challenging. Um, mood has a very significant way of affecting one's thought process. So, you know, add on to that some of the cognitive impairments that can come along with having MS. And if you have depression on top of that, it makes an already compromised cognitive capacity that much more challenging. And when you have fatigue, you're already feeling the lethargy and the lack of energy to move in a way that you'd like to. And depression has a way of dragging one down, not just emotionally, but physically. So it can make fatigue feel even worse and even more overwhelming and powerful. People are at greatest risk for depression at major transition points in their MS 
story. For example, following a diagnosis, following significant loss of function, having to leave the workplace, if there are relationship challenges, um, if there's a threat that a relationship is on the brink of ending without hope of repair, depression can certainly arise as a result of that. And as I said moments ago, depression can be life-threatening. In MS, depression has multiple causes. One is neurologic, and that is indicated by a lesion, like many of the lesions that people have, um, active lesions either in their brain or spinal cord correspond to particular symptoms, and it can be no different for depression. And if there is a lesion in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, that can often correspond to de depression linked to MS. Uh, there are immunological causes for MS, and to this day, there's a lot of vagary around that. MS being an autoimmune disease, along with all these other autoimmune diseases, all of the researchers are trying to understand why some people are more prone to them based on their genetics, based on where they live, based on certain habits. And depression is one of those things that corresponding to MS can be a factor due to immunological issues. And then, of course, there are psychosocial issues that can make depression a more salient issue for somebody who has MS. One of the more difficult issues that people with MS struggle with is the unpredictability of the disease, having to sit with the idea that you have a progressive illness, and even if you've done everything right, for example, starting your medication as soon as you've been diagnosed, taking care of yourself in every optimal way possible, still the unpredictability of having to consciously be aware of knowing that your disease can shift at any time can be incredibly depressing, which of course is why I would never encourage someone that I'm working with to be consciously mindful in a very regular way of the unpredictability of one's disease. One would not be able to function in a productive way if you were just paying attention to that particular problem and scary thing that comes along with MS. Depression can also arise due to psychosocial stressors. As I mentioned before, there could be marital problems. There could be economic pressures due to the person with MS having to leave the workforce. Their partner having to pick up some of the slack that the MS person no longer has the capacity, energy, functionality to be able to do. That can be incredibly uh, upsetting to the person with MS that they can't do these things anymore. 
it can be depressing for the person who has to pick up the slack and do all of those other things. It can be angering as well. And uh, I did discuss support partners in a in my previous podcast episode, so I encourage you to listen to that if you want some more information about some of the struggles that come up for support partners when dealing with some of the changes that occur with somebody who has MS. Depression can also be an issue when one copes in an emotionally centered way. And what I mean by that is there's an emotion centered and versus a, I guess, a logical centered way of of coping. And emotion-centered is more about leading your way of mobilizing your life and understanding the way that you experience and see things from a feeling perspective, from fear, for example. Um, And using a logic-based way of functioning, there's less likely to be depression because you take the facts that are in front of you about what you are able to do, what you have learned you can't do, how you are trying to adapt to those changes, how you are trying to deal with the losses of particular functioning that you might no longer have. And you use that information to move forward, to find other ways of managing to find ways to empower yourself. In the latter, there's less likely to be depression correlated with that way of coping. In the former, there's more likely to be depression present for somebody who is being led in their way of functioning by fear, by anxiety, by worry, etc. So there are several tools um, tests, written tests, and uh, you know, verbal, verbal tests that are used by neuropsychologists to assess for the presence and severity of depression. And as I said, neuropsychologists can administer them. Some MS centers have neuropsychologists on staff. If it's something that you're interested in, I would talk to somebody on the staff at your MS center or your doctor's office, perhaps as a social worker on staff, they would know best about if there's someone on staff or if they can refer you to somebody who can administer those tests. There's also a psychosocial interview um, or a psychiatric interview. Psychiatric interview is done by a psychiatrist, a psychosocial interview is done by a psychologist or a social worker during which questions are asked about a variety of things about your functioning. And there can be an emphasis placed on uh, looking at and exploring your feelings and how you're dealing and whether or not there is a significant presence of depression. And anxiety. Let's now talk about anxiety in MS. So anxiety as it happened is more common than depression in MS, especially amongst females. 
particularly right after the diagnosis. And the best predictor of excessive alcohol consumption in people with MS is whether or not one has anxiety. The lifetime prevalence of generalized anxiety disorder in people with MS is found to be more than three times the amount of generalized anxiety disorder found in the general population. Now let me repeat that. The lifetime prevalence of generalized anxiety disorder in people with MS is found to be more than three times the amount of generalized anxiety disorder found in the general population. That is striking. And like depression, anxiety is also underdiagnosed, undertreated, and multi-causal. However, regardless of the cause, depression and anxiety and other mood issues do respond very well to treatment. I want to also address briefly mood changes and MS that go beyond depression and anxiety. And moderate to severe shifts in mood commonly occur and one may shift between being happy, being sad, being irritable, being rageful. This can affect one's overall functioning and cognitive functioning. These mood shifts can affect the way a person takes care of themselves and others. These mood changes can affect someone's capacity to be at work full time. And it may affect one's self-esteem and sense of personal control. And as it happens, bipolar disorder is, has a high correlation with an MS diagnosis. It's also important to note that family members, support people, can also experience mood changes. And I do think it's important to acknowledge that and be aware of that. And what, what is, some people might consider unfortunate, some people might consider maybe better, is that a family member's mood changes might not necessarily be in sync with the same kind of mood changes the MS person has. And mood changes can be treated with psychotherapy and mood stabilizing medications. So I'm just going to reiterate something I mentioned earlier about the various emotional ways MS can impact one's life and, and add on a few other emotional impacts that I didn't mention earlier. There's shock, denial, loss and grief, anxiety and depression. Then there's loneliness, fear. There's a felt loss of control. There's the challenge of dealing with the symptoms of, disease, of the disease and or the medications. There are issues dealing with external and internal chaos due to changes in family roles. And I have found that there is an increased propensity for emotional or stress eating. Either using food in a restrictive or an overindulgent way to deal with one's feelings about their disease. And I will have an entire podcast I believe my next podcast that will be focusing entirely on uh, nutrition, food, 
and MS. So I'll be able to go into that in more detail then. So another common mood issue in MS is called the pseudobulbar affect. And Danny Glover has done commercials on this. You might be familiar. Pseudobulbar affect is responding in, in a way that, in an excessive way to what a situation would rationally merit. Um, laughing uncontrollably or crying uncontrollably or raging uncontrollably. And this is not something that is under somebody's control, but it's very common with people who have MS and there are treatments for that. And I, I mentioned I would discuss grieving and the difference between that and depression, and I'd like to do that now. When we're dealing with grieving, you'll typically think of people grieve when they lose something or someone, and it's associated with dealing with a loss. And for many people with MS, they are constantly dealing with the idea um, and actual experience of loss, loss of functioning, loss of control, loss of certain capacities, loss of plans, future plans for themselves, loss of dreams, loss of what they had imagined their life was going to be like. And one of the ways to cope with loss, and I think an important way to cope with loss, and a very difficult way to cope with loss, is grieving. Um, and it's about working through and trying to find a way to accept the loss. And it's not about avoiding it. It's not about pretending it's not there. It's not about saying, I haven't lost anything. It's about acknowledging that you have lost something. And hopefully, if you are grieving, you're also working to, while simultaneously acknowledging the things that you've lost, you're looking at the things that you are still able to do, or maybe have even learned more skills that you can add to your life and that can make you feel more empowered and can help you kind of restructure your plan for moving forward. So let's talk about how depression and anxiety and mood issues can be treated. Now, the strongest recommendation for people with MS, their family members and support partners is that psychotherapy and antidepressant medication is the treatment of choice. Antidepressant medication um, can be very effective in addressing anxiety as well. Um, and that's something to talk to your doctor about. There's also a lot of research done on the very strong benefits of exercise and how that can impact the severity of one's depression and one's anxiety. So besides medication and individual psychotherapy, there are self-help and support groups. And I want to emphasize that while I do think that these are very important, 
They're not the same thing as psychotherapy. They are ideal for sharing information, for getting support, for having social activities with like-minded and like-experienced people. I think it's especially important to help someone feel like they're not alone because so many people do feel like they're alone. They're suffering by themselves. And part of that has to do with an unwillingness to talk about what's going on because of shame, because of fear, because of not feeling support uh, from the people around them. But being in a self-help or support group is meant to create a safe space for people to talk so that they feel like and recognize that there are other people like them. And that can be incredibly grounding and very comforting. And self-help and support groups are effective venues for learning stress management strategies, for sharing tools and resources, and for dealing with grief, anxiety, and or mild depression. And a multitude of other issues that might come up. However, and I want to emphasize this once again, self-help groups do not provide adequate treatment for moderate to severe depression. As I mentioned a moment ago, there has been a lot of research done on the efficacy of exercise on dealing with mitigating the effect of certain feeling states. So a study has shown that depression can be decreased with, alongside of having an increased quality of life with repeated aerobic training. Now you may say, well, I, I can't do aerobic training. Um, you know, I, I move and my body gets overheated, I get overheated, I feel my symptoms, and I, I, I can't do that. Um, you might feel angry at the suggestion. Well, you can talk to an exercise physiologist. You can talk to a physical therapist. You can talk to a psychologist. There are options for people who want to get the benefit of exercise, but because of their MS diagnosis and some of the sequelae that come from that diagnosis, aerobic exercise is not on the table for them. For example, swimming is a great exercise for people who have MS. You're, you'd be in an environment where your body is not going to get overheated. There's chair yoga. There are, there's Pilates that's done with instructors that can give you modifications. There are many practitioners in this world that have training working with people with disabilities and know how to help them involve themselves in exercises with modifications so that they feel like they're taking part and they're moving their body, which is very important for everybody and particularly with people with MS. So it's fairly consistent in many studies across the board that anxiety can decrease with five to 10 minutes of a single session of aerobic activity. And exercise is associated with an overall association with an increased better mood. There are also non-traditional exercise, like mindful exercises, such as Tai Chi, 
which has been shown to decrease depression, decrease anxiety, and improve one's mood. A single session of yoga can decrease depression, can decrease anxiety, and can increase a sense of well-being. So what are some challenges for people to be able to get the kind of treatment that might be helpful for them in dealing with some of these emotional challenges that can come as a result of an MS diagnosis? So people with MS often experience the fear, denial, and resistance to treatment. For example, I take enough pills already, and I see enough doctors. The amount of times that I have heard that from people with MS, I can't even count anymore. It's a pretty common reaction because people with MS are often spending a lot of their times traveling to and from doctor's offices and dealing with taking their medications, dealing with the side effects of their MS medication. So the idea of taking even more medication or having to visit yet another doctor is onerous and can make them feel even more depressed or more anxious. They also don't want to deal with the side effects of some of these medications, and antidepressant medications have side effects. Um, it's just unfortunate that most medications do have side effects. And you try to weigh the benefits over the benefits of how the medication can help you over the negatives of how the side effects can help you. And a doctor can facilitate such a decision-making process. Also, people are not getting treatment because they have communication difficulties and inabilities because of cognitive impairment, because of feeling shame, because of fear of being burdensome, for feeling guilty. A lot of people with MS feel guilty for having their disease, for the impact it's having on the people around them, and having to acknowledge that yet there is one more issue that they're dealing with feels like they're going to be oppressing the people in their life even more than they feel they already have. So they might not acknowledge that they might need more help and therefore need to go to another doctor and need to see if their insurance covers it and deal with issues of whether or not their insurance covers it and maybe having to deal with paying for out-of-pocket which of course increases more stress. Um, and as I said uh, a big challenge to getting treatment for these emotional issues is that people may not report it. Doctors are not asking about it. And mood symptoms may be difficult to distinguish from general instability or normal grieving. However, in a recent study, one-third of people with multiple sclerosis identified a need for mental health care. Symptoms of anxiety and depression, but not current diagnosed mental health disorders, was the predominant factor associated with the reported need for care. This is very positive. This makes me feel very hopeful. And for those of you who are on the fence, if you can replay that part again, please know that people, once they allow themselves to reach out for and acknowledge that they need care, they find it very helpful. And if you're having a difficult time knowing how to 
take the next step. It's important to try to find a way to report any significant mood changes to your healthcare professional, to ask them for a few extra minutes. Or if you find that you don't feel comfortable talking to your neurologist, or if your neurologist is unfortunately rushing you out of his or her office, see if you can talk to the nurse on staff. See if you can talk to a social worker. Um, and you could also ask your doctor or nurse um, to refer you to the National MS Society for referrals for specialists in your area. You could also go onto the National MS Society's website and go to their navigator program. And it's, it's, a, it's an exceptional program to help you find the area on their website that would be most useful for you. And there are MS care providers. I am, I am one such person. There's a whole list of MS care providers that you can reach out to who specialize in working with MS. And there are also people at the MS Society who you can talk to one-on-one. -on -one, and you can ask some of these questions, too, if you'd rather not struggle with dealing with going back and forth on a website. And the kinds of treaters that you can see for some of these mood issues are psychiatrists, nurse practitioners, psychotherapists, and rehab and exercise professionals. And the, the latter are the people who can help with implementing an exercise program for you or finding a place where you can go where there are people who are like yourself who might not be able to mobilize as well as somebody without MS and need help and need modifications made and need have exercises put forth to them that don't increase their body heat. So there are a variety of people who are out there who want to help and can be there to help. But it requires you to ask. And I'm not in any way suggesting that it's an easy ask. I know it's a very difficult one. So these are some key takeaways from this topic on mood issues. Mood changes are part of the disease process and not simply a reaction to it, but also a reaction to it. And normal grieving can be difficult to distinguish from depression, but I hope my explanation helps you understand that better. Depression and anxiety are more common in MS than in the general population. And that anxiety and depression are underdiagnosed and undertreated amongst people with MS and their family members and caretakers. So that is my conclusion of my episode on the emotional aspects of living with MS for the MS person and their family members. If you have any questions to follow up, anything you've heard on today's podcast or in prior podcasts, please feel free to reach out to me and I'd be more than happy to elaborate on some questions that you might have. The best way to reach me is through my website, which is at drgaillewis.com. And on there is my office phone number. There's my email address. And there's also a page on the website 
where you can put all your information in and request an appointment. And I get an email from that and I'm able to call you back and uh, we can talk and potentially make an appointment. Additionally, as I said, the National MS Society has incredible resources to further your understanding about this particular topic about emotions and MS. But I encourage you to give some thought to everything that I've talked about and I can understand how difficult it might be to acknowledge that you are struggling with yet one more thing when you have this disease that can feel so horrible to have. But because depression can be life-threatening and because depression can be treated quite well, I think it might be worth it to try to push yourself. Try to get someone to help you push yourself. To reach out and acknowledge something is going on so that you can get the help that you need. Thank you so much for your time with me. I really appreciate it as always. And I look forward to my next episode with you. And I pray that there will be no technical difficulties between this episode and my next one. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.